0: what's up nashville welcome to the local wave conversations with the nashville underground it's me it's alex i'm back again uh this week was great i had on someone in a band that i have loved for many years a guy named arun bali he is the guitar player for saves the day which is one of my personal favorite bands um arun is actually is a I mean, he he called himself forever the new guy. He's been in the band for almost ten years now, which you know is pretty funny. But but he's played on their albums Daybreak and one of I think the if not the most underrated album in their discography, their self-titled record Saves the Day. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about both those records, favorite tours, uh, maybe or maybe not doing Acid on Warp tour. Uh, talking about making of a. Better Off's Milk album, which is another incredible record, which was kind of the way Arun got his start in producing, which he does here at Schematic Studios in Nashville. So, if you need producing, go to Arun at Schematic Studios. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for following me. Thank you for at at the local wave. Thank you for giving to our Patreon page, patreon.com at the local wave. I know I say this shit every single time, but, uh, you know, I just, I care about it and I want you guys to be involved. So hit me up at the local wave or email me localwavepod at gmail.com. I really want to hear about new bands you're listening to, whatever you want to do. Um, I literally just recorded an intro, so I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself, but I do not care. I, I think that this stuff is important and I am super passionate about it. And thank you to the people that are also passionate about it and you for listening. I'm just, I'm just excited to do this. This is one of them that got me like super jazzed that I got to be able to do it because saves the day is like, is it, they got a new record coming out called nine, which actually comes out today. So also go freaking listen to that new record. Um, I didn't get to listen to it prior to the recording. So a lot of it is just a lot of the new album talk is based around the singles that they've put out, um, which side by side is incredible. And I'm very stoked. Uh, if you're listening to this before, uh, 6 PM today, uh, the 26th, I believe go to Grimy's because at six, at 6 PM, they are going to be playing a free show. Um, but if you are listening to this after the early morning of, uh, October 26th, I'm sorry, you missed out and I went to it and it was so much fun. I actually don't know that yet because I haven't gone, but I guarantee you it's gonna be great. Anyway, uh, I'm done talking. So let's get into this episode with Arun from Saves the Day.
1: living in boston like playing in bands and stuff i'm from boston i'm
0: from i went to college in quincy i'm like from new hampshire i'm cool from that area yeah i read you went to berkeley i yeah i lived there for three years so it's cool well i guess technically semi-racist spot but cool yeah (laughs) yeah a little bit
1: did you experience that kind of stuff up there not personally i mean i caught some comments here and there um but I was friends with some really tough dudes there. Yeah. That basically were like, anybody mess, no A, nobody will mess with you. And B, if somebody does, just, it's over. Know. And I, and then, you know, I was like, cool. I mean, I, I can handle myself fine. But and I never really had any issues where it came to that.
0: Were you playing, like, because that's when, like, that whole Boston hardcore scene was taken off. Were you, like, involved in that at all?
1: Um, Around Like, what? Time? Like Like the the beatdown stuff. Yeah. I knew some of those dudes, but I didn't. Right. That wasn't my my scene. What kind of bands were you playing in back then? Uh, I was doing a band with the singer from Six Going On Seven. Cool. um, Who are a great, great Boston band. um, Put out a couple records on on some records. And so we were doing, I don't really know. It was sort of this like police meets like Britpop kind of blur sort of thing. It never really materialized and it never, um, yeah, it never turned into what I had hoped it would. Um, and then after just kind of toiling around in some bands there, I ended up back in Detroit, which is where I grew up. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, and what year was that?
1: Like 2003 or 4. S- oh, okay. So I moved there. I moved, I had two different stints in Boston. Um, there was, Ninety-eight, I moved there for school. I was there for like a year and a half, maybe a little more. Moved back to Detroit for like a year and a half and then back to Boston for another year and a half. It was a lot of back and forth. Yeah. How would you end up in Nashville? I know that's probably skipping ahead a bunch. But... Uh, Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, Around 2009 or 10, I was starting to like – before I had joined Saves the Day, I would already planned on moving out of Detroit. I was going to go to L.A. Hmm. Um, and I was going to do, like, session work or just try to, you know, pursue some other, um, maybe some songwriting or some other some other studio-type work. And we had played Nashville on our first Saves the Day tour, and I had just had some friends move here, like all the Third Man Records people. And so, you know, just kind of seeing some of my friends move down here and then making, like, a bunch of trips um, in the years following that first show here— I just started to fall in love with it and just seeing all my other friends from touring and from, like I had a lot of Detroit friends that moved here and um, it's an easy drive to go back to Michigan, right. which I like because my family's still there. Done it. Yeah. Uh, but living just – I sort of just fell out of love with wanting to move to the West Coast and I've been here now six years and change, like six years and – six and a half years almost. Dang. I love it.
0: Yeah, so you're, like, almost, I mean, you kind of saw, like, Nashville before it was. Right before it. Right. Yeah. that's mean, when I, think, I moved here, too, 2011. I think it
1: was, like, 2013 is when, like, everything yeah. started to change so fast. It sucked. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, in, it sucked
0: and, in, has been, I don't know, it's kind of.
1: In hindsight, I wish I had uh, bought more real estate then. But, right, right.
0: Yeah, I just bought a house and it was. I could have – the house that I just bought, I bet, back then would have cost nothing. So mm-hmm. um, so you joined Saves the Day like 2010 2009. 2009. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? And I, I read an interview yeah. where you kind of explained it, but there's a lot – it seemed like there was a lot of moving parts, like a lot of mutual friends and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I mean I think – yeah, like back – I think it was like 2008 was when I had started like – I'd been playing in this band called Eons with some guys in in Richmond, Virginia, and Rodrigo, who's also in Saves the Day now. Um, We were doing this band. It was kind of like this also Britpop sort of thing. Um, And it had sort of fizzled out uh, for various reasons. Um, So my plan after that band was to just... Because I've never been like the sort of like... Like, I write songs, but I'm not, like, that singer-songwriter-type troubadour guy Yeah, that can just go it alone. And I was like, what can I do to just not have to be, like, accountable to other people and have them be accountable to me? And so I thought, well, I'll just go be a guitar player for whoever needs a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the plan, was to move to L.A. and then work as a composer um, for a friend's company who used to be in that old band of mine and he started this company doing music for commercials. So one of the reasons we um, we split because that was just doing so well for him. And he was like, Hmm. dude, I got this cool thing. Like, you know, I just kind of got to run with it. I'm like, great, that's fine. But he, and they ended up like hiring me, which was awesome when I was going to go work for them in LA. Um, And I think I was like less than a month or so from moving and like, I got a call from the old Saves the Day drummer Daraja, who I've known for a very long time because, like, his old band used to play with my old band like way back in the day, and we'd always talked about working on some stuff together. Saves had just played some shows in Australia with Alkaline Trio, part of Soundwave, mm-hmm. and um, Derek Grant's, you know, one of my my oldest best friends from, you know, that's awesome. From, like, we grew up one town over from each other, so. And Derek was in that old band that played those shows with Taraj's old band. So it's yeah, it's it's crazy. So serendipitous. Uh so somehow my name just got brought up in a conversation. Uh Saves had a fill in guitar player on that tour and wasn't sure what was gonna happen going forward after they got back. And so yeah, I had just got in a call for it. And um I was like, Cool, yeah, I'll do like the first tour was with Alkaline Trio and mm-hmm. For all I knew it was just gonna be one tour. Yeah. And it ended up here we are ten years later, but uh within like two days of rehearsal, like it had just been going it was going well, and Chris was like, Do you just wanna join the band? I'm like, Yeah, man, let's do it.
0: What was the first thing you worked on with them? I mean the was it daybreak or was it bug bug session? It was, bug se- bug it, was it was daybreak. Yeah. So
1: we did um that tour and I wanna say it was spring of oh nine with the trio, and then spent the summer doing pre-production. Me and Chris. For What's the, it? For Daybreak.
0: I, I get one of the biggest questions I had for you going into it, it is like, what is it like being in a band like Saves at this point? You know, where like their kind of quote unquote classic material is happened already. Like, you do you feel like you're kind of playing with house money when
1: you're writing an album like Daybreak? Ah. Uh, I think we just kind of, you know, it was a weird first record for me to be involved with, but I don't think it was as weird. I think it was weirder for Chris only because he didn't know where my tendencies were going to lie. Like he was ready Mm. to make this big, weird rock record. And I was like, I was cool with that because I grew up on like prog rock and like other just non-conventional music, I guess. Yeah. I read you're like big in the King Crimson. I love King Crimson and like Yes and yeah. Love that love that stuff. Um, and so the first song he played me was Daybreak. And it was like this weird, crude demo of it that just like um, probably wouldn't have made sense to most people. Right. Um, but I think because I was able to hear past what he was like presenting me with or where I could go, I think that's where everything started kind of clicking. Hmm. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm not like blind to the fact that like you know, records like Through Being Cool and Stay What You Are are just going to mean so much to people because of the impact that they had when they came out and the what else was going on in that It was a moment scene. in time. It was a yeah. Moment. yeah, for sure. Um but that's not the, you know, we we are just as excited writing a record like that. You know, so for us we can only control I always tell people like you know you should only just worry about the things you can control like you can control being a good songwriter or writing good songs well, you can control working on those things mm-hmm. um, and working on whatever your craft is i don't really concern myself with like what how people perceive it um as long as I'm psyched about it. So you weren't, like, nervous at all about what fans are going to think of the record or
0: anything like that? I really
1: didn't care. Yeah. I had sort of just reached that point where I was like, I just want to do the things that I'm psyched on doing because, you know, if everybody – if I gave a shit about everybody else's opinion and if everybody else was so good at doing stuff, then everybody would make sick records. (laughs) You know what I mean? True. Like, so – and it's just funny to me when people are like, oh, you you know, you're really like alienating your fans. But, you know, and it's like, well, you go make that record.
0: Right. You know? What was the recording process like for that record?
1: For Daybreak? Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to turn my phone off. I don't know why it's still beeping. I thought it was on Do Not Disturb. That's very rude of me. It's fine. Um, it was, uh, so we spent, we did a version of it with our old rhythm section with Manny and Daraja. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say like well, it was more of a demo um and then we went and did uh we after they had left the band because Shaw had gone back together, so they went back to go do that, and then you know it was just me and Chris kind of working on on that record, and it came time to sort of figure out like okay well we need a we need a band so um and Rodrigo, somebody had been playing music with, since I was fifteen, so i asked him if he wanted to do it he was definitely he was super down and then those two talked and it went well and um and then we got spencer peterson to play drums on that record who was in hidden in plain view oh cool yeah um so we spent we did another tour in like the winter of 2010 and then we did the record right after that we spent a month in michigan at uh our friend Mark Hudson's studio. Yeah. He did under the boards as well and tracked uh the self title record.
0: Cool. Is there was there any like
1: favorite tours that you had on that record? On Daybreak? Yeah. That we did a co headline with the Get Up Kids. Oh, wow. And it was like all like weird, not weird, but like, you know, B and C markets as they call it. Like, you know, like Toledo and Long Island and just like sort of like off the beaten path things right. but it was just two bands playing ninety minutes apiece. Wow. Um, there's a song on, uh, on Saves the Day called "Xenophobic Blind Left Hook," yeah, which was about an incident on that tour outside of our show in Toledo where Rodrigo got sucker punched by some some bro dudes. Oh my Because Rod was trying to like break up a fight or something. Saw some kid getting picked on by some dudes on crotch rockets and winged tips in their hair, (laughs) um, and was trying to defuse the situation, saw one of our, you know, like a fan was getting like picked on or something. And this dude just came out of nowhere and slugged him. And a bunch of us found out, ran out trying to like, you know, ready, just ready for, you know, a brawl and, um, saw them cruising away. Gosh, Jesus. So. That tour stands out. Yeah, (laughs) Um, not because he got punched in the face, but uh, I'm sure getting here to get it kids play 90 minutes a night. Yeah, that didn't suck. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, so that was fun. Um, There was a co-headline we did with Bayside that was fun. Um, Just because I got to really know, I became you know now they're some of my closest friends. Um, You playing a cover band with them? Yeah, yeah. Do some doing those Smiths covers? Yeah. Uh, um, let's see, what else? Um, what are some
0: of your favorite old Saves the Day songs to play live? I'm sure you get this question a good bit, but... Um, how old? Any of, I mean, any ones that you didn't have a hand in writing. Like, maybe in Reverie.
1: Older, Prior? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything on in Reverie, like, Driving in the Dark was the song that I remember learning for that first tour that I was like, oh, this is... Like, cause it sort of fell off my radar a little bit. Like Mm I had sort of like, I mean, I had friends in all those bands, um, but saves kind of fell off my radar for a while. Yeah. And, uh, I remember listening to In Reverie when I was learning it and being like, "Oh, this is cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, but like from Can't Slow Down, like we were doing this version of Jody on, um, our headline tour on the self-title record that I thought was really cool. We kind of took, like, the fast punk beat out of it and just kind of made it a little, like, groovier. Yeah. Um, I like the ones where we take some of those older ideas and reinterpret them. Uh, My Sweet Fracture was one of those, where it was just one we were, like, kind of just playing it like the record, and it was just sort of like... I don't know, we were just doing it, I just, you know, and then I started doing like some weird guitar stuff, like kind of like this shoegazy, my bloody Valentine thing to it. And it sort of transformed it where the song is still the same vibe as the record, but now there's all this like just maniacal guitar stuff over it. It just kind of gave it a different texture and a vibe that it just, so that became a lot more fun to play. Um, Yeah. You know, like, anything I'll stay what you are uh you know firefly is always fun, It's always a banger um so yeah i mean
0: how do you how do you feel about daybreak now, like looking back on it in terms of what like in terms of i mean how are you proud of it like do you feel yeah like definitely it, yeah. yeah
1: i mean, you know, i don't think i mean I don't think um I, you know, I'm certainly not the only one that listens to old work and says like, oh, I wish I could have done that part different. Or, you know, there's certain things that I play live different now or whatever, just through evolution. Playing it, of a yeah, part. Playing it all so, the time. You know, yeah, yeah, um, But yeah, I'm definitely proud of it. I'm definitely proud of it like for the songs. Um, uh, sonically, I thought we did some cool stuff. Like, you know, some of the guitar sounds we were yeah. going for. I was really... Stoked and proud of, and I'm always psyched when people still bring that up, and they're like, oh, man, you've got some gnarly sounds on that record. I'm like, cool.
0: Is that when, when did you kind of get interested? I mean, you're a producer now,
1: so when when, when did that kind of start up? When did I get interest, interested in? Yeah, in, in producing. Like, producing kind of came later where, um, I, so when I started doing music for commercials, I had to learn how to, like, produce my own stuff. And so that took me down a rabbit hole for engineering and mixing. And, uh, and just fast forward to, you know, a couple of years when I was like, oh, man, I kind of want to get it. You know, I think it was moving here especially, but um, thinking about like wanting to produce a band. It's like, yeah, I got opinions, you know, <laughs> uh, and I remember having uh, a meeting up with Dan Sanshaw from Equal Vision Records, which is our label. Uh, he was in town to see better off play and they were not signed at the time. And so that was, I remember sitting at the end at the bar with him telling him like, yo, I'm thinking of getting into producing. Like, what do you think of that? And, uh, you know, cause he's somebody that I respect yeah. immensely. And, you know, he would tell me to my face if that was a, either a shit idea or a great idea. And, it was very encouraging about it. And um, I was like, yeah, let's find you a project to work on. And and then fast forward to doing that Better Off stuff. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: that record is fucking killer. Thank you. Like that – I mean, those are all my guys. Like I yeah. I love those dudes. But that I, was something I had written down and talked to you about. What do you remember about producing that record? I talked a little about it with Luke uh, yeah. on an episode – a few episodes ago. But
1: um, Yeah. I mean, that record was definitely a labor of love. I mean, I had a blast making it um, – you didn't glow in the dark, right? We did a glow in the dark. Um Yeah, I you know I think that's
0: the first time I remember hearing your name like like at all. Mm-hmm. Was was for
1: that record. Cool. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that with those guys. They were all like really open-minded. They were not uptight. Um Yeah, I remember just having a lot of fun uh you know some gratifying parts were sh- like definitely like s- hearing where the songs like started and where they ended up you know yeah. from where the demos like we we spent like a month in. they had this like practice space and like a u-haul like storage locker thing <laughs> um and we spent like a month just doing pre-production and then mm. you know so we had this big dry erase board and we'd go through and like let's try this idea okay you know, so
0: you just, were with them like the whole time. Yeah, like grinding. I out had a guitar in
1: my hand. I was writing riffs. Yeah, I was just Fifth Beatle. Oh, so that's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun.
0: Um, is that was that like the, one of the first records that you kind of got known for for producing? producing? Yeah.
1: yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, I mean, outside of Saves, you know, being like a member of Saves and and co-producing something. Um, but yeah, that was like the first thing where I was like being just the sole producer on it right.
0: yeah um i'm normally i work in a little bit more linear fashion yeah we but just kind of, kind of got just, into it we're so just you want, like, in. i'll just
1: i'll follow your lead man it's yeah like we're just ramble. sort
0: of hopping all around yeah. but i really wanted to talk to you about the self-taught record because i think that's like i that's my favorite saves record oh man thank like, you i love that record cool um, and uh i i one time when i met i came in when you guys were I remember start, that. Yeah, starting in with Nine because of Tate Mercer, who mm-hmm. I feel like I shout out almost every single episode. Um, but uh, but I remember Chris saying that he felt like that record was kind of a, a brother to stay what you are.
1: Yeah, I think after Daybreak, um, you know, Daybreak sort of finishing out the, that trilogy of records and, and sort of what the, the concept of that was, I think... I think for him, it felt like he was on the other side of a lot of the turmoil of, the, you know, life, and then just also uh, lyrically with what he was trying to convey um, on those records. So, yeah, I think the self-title one was just a little, little um I don't say happier, but I can see why. Yeah, I feel like we've referenced that. Like, it was like, I think at one point we said, like, it's like stay what you are, but done by older people. <laughs> you know, we've all grown up, and
0: yeah. Well, I mean, there was more obviously like typical song structures and like love sure. song, you know, kind yeah. of like love songs mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which right. uh, you know was a lot different from Daybreak. But, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just like I feel like there's such a gorgeous simplicity of that record. Cool. Um, what did you like? What do you remember making? Yeah. What do you remember about making that record?
1: Uh, we did it at the same studio where we did Daybreak. Um, I remember when we made Daybreak, we were kind of helping <laughs> our engineer build the studio at the time because he had just built this addition to his house. So there was it was funny making a record in this sort of like makeshift studio. And then the next time we were there, it was like this realized Real studio yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, we spent, I feel like a month or so on that record. Um, did the same sort of thing where we spent some time like, in Chico doing pre-production demoed like out an entire version of the record as sort of like a practice run and then went in the studio and did it. Um, and then we had Rob Schnaff who mixed and produced stay what you are. And in reverie, he mixed that record.
0: And that one was back on equal vision Mm -hmm. because daybreak you guys had. Yeah. We well We made it
1: before there was even a label involved. So we did Uh, a, a pledge music thing. Um, which is a very interesting f- way to make a record, yeah, if you haven't tried it, um I haven't, yeah, <laughs> it's cool, uh, you don't realize like how much work it is. it is an extraordinary amount of work, really, well, you know, fulfilling pledges and uh you know yeah, it's just it's.
0: A lot of people kind of feel, uh, I feel like musicians have a lot of feelings about like crowdfunding. I think of I stuff. just
1: didn't understand. I think I'm a little more uh, sympathetic to it now. I think, uh, I think the trade off, though, has to be like you're giving me money to create something for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or create something. And sometimes it comes across as this weird money grab, you know, like we just wanted to do it where we didn't have a label and we just wanted to like cut out the middle person. Uh, but sometimes people do it like, I don't want to call anybody out, but, uh, there have been some like, there have been some questionable uh, Kickstarter campaigns or pledge campaigns. You know, where I'm like, really? That's what you're crowdfunding? Come on! Like, like what do I? You know, you're not even creating anything. You're just like, or like an amount of money that's just like outrageous. But I I also do, you know, I like what Pledge does with, um, using it as like a pre, almost like a pre-order. Yeah, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, I think it's still trying to figure out what it wants to be. Hmm. But I don't think I'm as like apprehensive about it. I don't know that I would do it again, but. Um, I think I understand it more now. Were you guys, like, trying to be independent, going into it? Not necessarily. Yeah. I think it was just, you know, the best option at the time. It just seemed like... I think we were... Um, I think Kevin Devine once referred to it as, like, a one-bullet gun. And I think that's how we viewed it, too, where it's like... Um, yeah, I think just... Swing for the fences. Let's just see what happens. You know, if we're gonna do this, like we're not gonna do it again. Let's do it once and see what happens. Yeah, and we made our incentives like, and we swung for the fences for sure. Um, and it was successful. It was super successful. You know, we met our goal in like six days. And were you worried about it at all? Not really. Yeah, I mean, saves obviously has like a pretty solid. Core. I was. I was not. I don't remember being worried. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> but um, there might even some nerves about it. I yeah.
0: Uh, so what are some of your favorite songs on that record? I I love All the Time. I mean, that that song is just so... Beyond so, All the Time? Yeah,
1: Beyond All the Time, yeah. Let's see. Um, Stand in the Stars, uh, which we've never played live. Um but I like that one. It's just, we. It, it was one of the last ones we worked on, and I remember we were like kind of going back and forth about like the feel of it, and it just turned into this almost like Smiths type, you know, feel like this kind of like kind of summery. Yeah,
0: well, you you definitely brought like this kind of Brit pop element to Saves the Day that yeah, wasn't crowbar- there before. I just crowbarred that right in there <laughs> uh,
1: with no excuses or regrets i told them I, I told you know i was like i play guitar a certain way and i'm going to play guitar that way and, right. and uh, chris was like fuck yeah <laughs> you know so i was like cool we're just going to get along famously <laughs> yeah that's awesome um what songs are uh like uh, Xenophobic is still we play that a lot uh tired of our times you it's got, hard to pick a favorite yeah remember Remembers a great job. Uh Verona, that's a fun riff. supernova. Yeah. Supernova, I love playing that one. It's just so like I don't know, it's just sexy. <laughs> it's fun.
0: You guys won a warp tour after that, did you not?
1: We did. Yeah. Yeah, in two thousand fourteen.
0: No, I've I've heard some stories from that. From that warp tour, with yeah. You guys, what have you heard? Uh, that you like all dropped acid and then played a set full of songs like? B-side I can songs. neither confirm nor deny <laughs> such
1: activities going on, but um, we definitely did some weird,
0: like they learned eighties, like, the like we knew, like we knew,
1: like, we were just like touring so much, and we just at that time we went on that tour knowing roughly eighty-five songs, I think. If I'm 80, somewhere between 80 and 85. Um, And when we were rehearsing for that tour, I remember thinking, like, it's a 30-minute set. It's like, I will lose my mind if we play the same 30 minutes every day for the next two months Yeah. on top of just already losing my mind just (laughs) on that tour, just, you know... So, and that's not a, that's not, I'm not saying that it's a majority. Like, it's a, it was a, that's a fun tour and, and uh, I did it it's the an, year before you It is guys an experience that I am very grateful. Um, cause there's nothing like it and there never will be anything like that. Um, but, you know, you're just out in the sun for like two months, you're gonna just gonna lose it. Right. Um, so we were just trying to figure out ways like where we could make it interesting for us because we felt, you know, I just, I didn't want to just get, go on we didn't want to go on autopilot have the same banter and the same just everything every day so we're like well let's just be let's just be us and be odd like so what 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 does that mean like like one thing was like all right so like all right we know 85 songs or let's just say 85 let's that sounds like a nice number why don't we do every set where we play through our entire catalog before we can repeat a song. So we did that. So it was like nine shows or something where we didn't repeat a song. Dang. Uh, so like, cool, that's fun. Now what? And so then we would do stuff like, okay, like we'd wake up the morning of a show, find out when we were playing and then just decide to be, play only songs from through being cool or cancel. Uh, we did cancel down once, but, we we had to take, we had to, we decided like, all right, let's play Can't Slow Down today. And then we were all like, you know what? Why don't we just do that in like three days so that we can relearn it? Because we don't play those songs very often. Right. And a lot of times we got to like look at each other and be like, even Chris would be like, how does this start? I'd be like, dude, I don't know. I- <laughs> <laughs> you wrote it. <laughs> and sometimes it just takes like starting a song and then it's just like, oh yeah, your muscle memory it, yeah. kicks in. But but we did that and then we were letting certain bands pick our set lists and then they come up and play with us. Like four year strong did that yellow card. uh, I think every time I die did that. Um, the main, um, there were a few others. Uh, Chris from anti flag came to the Pittsburgh show. So we're like, you can write a set list. Um, yeah. So stuff like that. Yeah. So that was fun, you know, letting people pick our set list. And that meant a lot to like, some of those bands that were, like, big fans and stuff. Absolutely. Um,
0: I was on it the year before you, and I can't confirm that hearing the same band's set, like, there were no, I can't honestly think of really one band on that tour that did what you did, like, played a different, tried to play a different set, because we weren't on, I wasn't on one of the years where every time I die, I was on it and stuff, So, and they always try to do that, Um, and it was a bummer. (laughs)
1: i mean i get it like you want to play your festival set you want to play your bangers and and you know 30 minutes it's like you got to just kind of right you know you want to play your hits or whatever and for us we just felt um we're not really like a warp tour band in terms of like we had fans obviously coming and watching us and we had good good crowds but it wasn't like some of these other bands you know we're not falling in reverse right you know of mice and men and that kind of stuff like um so we felt like we could get away with doing stuff like that because it was just you know i think for the other bands on the tour that was really fun so you look out in the crowd and it'd be like like i remember you know it'd be this like sea of people but then like right up front it's like you know the dudes from The Ghost Inside or, like, or, or, or like, the Every Time I Die guy like, Jordan, you know, losing his mind somewhere, on you know, and, um, on the side of the stage or, you know, or just, like, dudes out in the crowd and just, like, wanting to watch us play. Yeah. And that was awesome.
0: That's such a cool... that That is the kind of stuff that makes that tour super cool. Yeah,
1: totally. And the kind of, you know, and to go back to, like, a, sort of an earlier question about being in a band like like this, like, that's exciting. It's cool to be have been in the band now for, like, 10 years and, like, you know, feel that I'm a legitimate part of the legacy. It's funny
0: know? how, you know, someone like me who's who's liked the band for so long, I think of you. I'm like, oh, he's, like, a new member of the band. You've been in the band yeah. for 10 years. Forever you know? the new guy. Yeah. Um
1: joke I always say about.
0: <laughs> but you've got, I mean, you had, like, a five-year window in between that record and this new one. To so use four, four? Four, four? That came out in
1: 2013? 13. Yeah. What year is it now? So it was like five years. Yeah. yeah, I think it was like September of 2013. Yeah. Um, Damn. So how did
0: you uh, get involved with Dave and what is now known as Schematic? So
1: Dave and I met... Um, Dave Elkins. Yes, Dave Elkins. From May. Um, May was doing one of their at the time one of their last like runs before they went on their hiatus and i met those guys in texas we they were wrapping up a tour i think we were kind of wrapping up but around the same time and so our dates were just offset by like a day so they ended up having a day off in dallas coming to our show and our guitar tech used at the time worked for may at one point so that's how it all sort of happened and um Like, Zach from the the band is a big fan, and so, like, they all came and hung out, and I just got to know Dave after that, and then we hung out in Austin the following day. They played down the street, and then, like, after our shows, we all met up, and um, I think Dave was just getting ready to move to Nashville, and it was already on my, like, trajectory. I just wasn't sure when it was going to happen. He ended up moving here about a year before me, and so, yeah, when I moved here, he was just one of the first people I called. He had um, a spot he was working out of in Green Hills and uh we were trying to figure out like going getting going into cahoots on a studio or doing something together and then uh i was gonna move try to move into that space he was in in green hills but it wasn't like there were just a lot of logistical uh hang-ups with that so like fast forward to when he uh met the 4115 guys and we met with them and they were cool with both of us moving in and sort of taking over the upstairs, which is what we did for a few years until the studio that we're at now presented itself. 4115 was an amazing experience for us. Um, But it was, you know, you've been there. Yeah. There's limitations, especially when you have that many people trying to work simultaneously. Um, And so I think we sort of exhausted what the possibilities were with that arrangement hmm. um and it was just time for something different and like something that we had a little more um control over just doing it the way we wanted to do it you know and right. uh so then this place revealed itself and we were able to to pull it off and
0: i've been there it's a freaking cool it's spot. awesome
1: like it's um it's it i was just i mean i was there before i came here it's just it's just so fun to be in there and create.
0: Is there any new stuff you're working on in there?
1: Uh, I've been kind of bouncing around some projects. I did something for my friend Kaylee Goldsworthy, who uh, she she also plays with Dave Haas. Um, okay. She's about to go on tour supporting Bayside on their acoustic tour, but she's also playing in the band. Right. And her and I, with Rodrigo and my friend Ben Hamola, who was in Dashboard and and I was in group love, we started a new band together. Cool. So we've been trying to get together when our schedules permit and just try to crank out songs. And we just did a, a week-long writing session Cool. just recently and was really happy with what, you know, I'm hoping we get to play shows soon and have something to put out in the world. Yeah. It shouldn't be too much longer, though. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, and then kind of lastly, I mean, we got nine coming down the pike here. Yeah. yeah, and the well when I met you at forty one fifteen, you guys were just getting guitar inspirations at that point, trying
1: to figure it out. Were we tracking? We well, yeah, I mean, we must have been like I think so.
0: Ways. I just I was just there and <laughs> I uh, I walked in on Chris uh, early and I mean it wasn't early. I guess it was like late morning and yeah. he was about to partake in uh, yeah
1: because we were getting there like pretty early and letting giving ourselves time to get caffeinated and uh, trying to start by like 11 or 12 every day.
0: And you, I just remember you guys listening to a bunch of different like jams trying to find inspiration.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're all just such big fans of music. Um, This record uh, is sort of about that. Like it's about, the history of the band and like sort of Chris's experience of like lyrically having, you know, throughout the history of the band, like there's a lot of re- there's references all throughout the record. um, And then there's there's stuff just specifically about about music and just our love of it. And it's just cool to like, you know, what excites us, yeah you know, to hear something and just want to be excited to go and create something. And, you know,
0: why did you choose to put out rendezvous It was the first single. That's it. those guitar tones are badass, uh,
1: probably because of that, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i I don't know like the, there was there was a lot of back and forth about what the first song should be, and then that was always my choice. um I think there was another song that we were looking at for a while, and it just sort of worked out that rendezvous was just gonna be the first song, and I was fine with it. it could have been there's a couple that could have worked out great for that, but that has just such an impact, you know. Comes yeah that course like, is like wooly guitar sounds yeah. and um yeah like it was you know and this is the first one that i you know we did like completely internally so like i produced and and i mixed it yeah which was which was awesome like it was an awesome to i mean to get to do a do a saves a day record uh and then b do it in this you know being in the band and having them trust me to to take that on um it's kind of like a so, big full circle experience sure in a sonically like um like i'm super proud i'm i'm proud of it just in general but like you know some of the stuff that i wanted to do sonically and getting to achieve that was is was gratifying
0: well, i'm very very stoked for this record i just
1: wanted to you know we just And the sort of my, where my production aesthetic was going and kind of what Chris was thinking like song-wise, just, it just met perfectly where, you know, we just wanted to do riffs. We wanted it to be riffier and like less intricate than maybe the last couple of records have been. There's a lot Hmm. of like really intricate shit going on. And not to say that there isn't in this one, but there's also a lot of stuff where it's just like.
0: It's gonna be cool to play it's, live. It's riffs, like there's yeah. songs
1: that like, you know, tones and like things that you know definitely feel older. Yeah. Um, like there's a song called "Rose" that's very like through being coolish. Cool. You know, I'm so excited. I think that. people will be psyched on. Um, the last song is 21 minutes long. Whoa! So Holy a shit. lot to unpack in there. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Man. Well, we, had to, we had to we double what we did on Daybreak, man. It was 11 minutes. So it's, yeah. So the next so next time we do a long one, it'll be 33 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's stuff to think about. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and then so I kind of end typically with these last two questions. Uh, is the lightning round? Yeah, uh, it's just two pretty well. One's like fun and one's slightly. Uh, big but um the first one is so this whole podcast basically is just about being a fan of my friends and like living in nashville and how insane it is that i i actually read you talk about getting a jam with like the black crows or like passing guitar around and oh, like how like was... in nashville it's so insane that you just get to meet all these people all the time that
1: yeah i think i remember that that interview uh yeah. but so i and it's funny you mentioned that i was talking about this with somebody not long ago. One of my first like very like Nashville experiences, um, the the story you're referring to, I do you know who Corey Brandon is? Yeah. Oh yeah. Phenomenal songwriter, guitar player, and man. Just the <laughs> the nice, just the sweetest, sweetest man. Um we knew each other prior to me moving here. Um and so I think he wasn't even, he'd moved here from Memphis maybe. And I, you know, I reached out saying like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm settled in. Let's, let's, let's hang, man. It's long, been a while. And uh, he was like, I'm, we're having dinner at my house. I'm going to have a bunch of people over. You should come hang, you know? So went over there and I, there's like a lot of people there. It was like a big, big dinner party and it was, it was cool. I went through my girlfriend at the time and like, sit sit at this uh i'm sitting on this couch and to my right is luther dickinson from the north mississippi all-stars and uh monster monster guitar player if you've never heard him play just just a sh- total shredder yeah um uh, but like just tasteful like phenomenal slide player um so I'm sitting there, we're just kind of, you know, shooting the shit, and, like, we have mutual friends. Our, our buddy, my buddy Dominic, who plays in his band and also plays with Jack White, um, was somebody who had recently told me that he was doing all this stuff with, with him. So, like, I was like, oh, yeah, you know my friend Dominic? And um, and then to my left, Jason Isabel sits down. <laughs> and so my buddy had just started working for him, and we have some mutual friends and stuff, so, like, you know... And now these guys are like really good friends of mine, and it's it's cool just from this like sort of random experience of of just being at this this dinner. Yeah. But like fast forward later into the night, and um, Corey brings out this guitar. It's this like mid '60s K, and um, he had been buying up pedals. I sort of like got him into pedals, or he started asking me about pedals, and he went down this the rabbit hole that everybody goes down when they're yeah. So now his board's bigger than mine. Um, <laughs> just funny, but uh, he was like bringing out all this gear that he'd recently got, and so he had this amp, and I forget what the amp was, but then this guitar, this like '60s K, and it was just this. It was just super cool, and so me, Corey, Jason, and Luther just passing a guitar around, just wanking. Yeah, but uh, so cool. Like I remember, like you know. Feeling that I could, hold, like, held my own, but also just wanting to go home and practice for, like, 12 <laughs> hours. And that was, like, the sort of thing, like, this is why I moved here. Like, to feel like – and it's not a competitive thing. It's just, like, an it's an inspiration thing. Like, right. God, I see that guy, like, you know, just wailing and just playing with, like, you know – and it's not just about, like, chops and stuff. Like, guys like Jason and Luther play – they're saying something when they're playing, hmm. you know. um. And I was like, man, I just, I want to do more of that. I yeah. want say more. I want to like, you know, so I, you know, I'd go home and like play and just, it's a great thing about living here. It's like, there's always somebody to like, kind of put you in your place.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. Well, the, the question I typically ask at the end is, and maybe you just answered it was like your biggest fan moment, like someone you've gotten to meet because of being in bands that you've like, I'm oh, um, a huge fan of.
1: That's a good question. Um the only time that I've ever been so starstruck that I like w- had, like a mild freak out was when I met Steve Eiserman from the Detroit Red Wings. Um but like musically, <laughs> um like I almost shit my pants. He was standing in front of me at a Starbucks and uh he was the nicest dude. got a picture with him. Um that's that's a whole other story though. But musically um I'm gonna say Walter Schweifels hmm. from Quicksand Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah. I knew Walter before I was in Saves. Um I met him when I was fifteen actually on the very first warp tour when I saw Quicksand wow. play. But like he's always been this like hero of mine. And um you know, we were we'd been friend friends, friendly. For years and years, um, and then we did a tour together, and ac- Saves did a full band acoustic tour, um, and we had Walter and John from Balance and Composure come out on the tour, and we all rode in a Sprinter together, uh, and just did like this Midwest-Northeast tour, um, and I felt like I got really close with him, with Walter on that tour, and and we'll text each other and like, you know, he's like, you know, if I'm in New York and we're both there, I'll try to grab lunch with him and stuff. And it's just cool that somebody that was like, like quicksand was a really important band for me. Um, so, and Gorilla Biscuits, Rival Schools, like, fucking Youth of Today, like, any band that he does just rips. Yeah. It's all good. The one, you know, that Hot Water music record he produced, best Hot Water music record. (laughs) Um, just he's just everything he does is just, and he's just so cool and zen like about it. And like, you know, you look at him, and you're like, man, that guy gives none fucks. He does that so well. He probably gives some fucks, but, right? Um, so I would say him.
0: That's I mean that's cool, and I mean I actually have a very similar experience of being able to be friends with like a a high school idol of yours. It's like a very. Weird, false... I stood underneath the Eiffel Tower with my high school idol. It was, was Josh Goggin from Norma Jean back in the day. Oh, okay. I toured with them and, uh like, I remember being underneath the Eiffel Tower with him and just being like, what is going on? You know what I mean? It's, like, this doesn't make any sense. It's super
1: <laughs> bizarre sometimes when you're just like, you know, I'll find myself in these places and I'll just be sitting, you know. um, Yeah, I don't know. It Just music has taken me to some weird... Weird places. I remember, like, playing a show at Third Man Records. uh, That's cool. And sitting on a couch with, like, Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen. (laughs) And Ted Danson asking me to sign a record. So somewhere in their house, there's my autograph on one of their records. And me thinking, like, like... I wish my dad were alive that I could tell him because we used to watch Cheers, yeah, so much and how like that's so beautiful. How insane that! I think I told him that story. I was like, "This is fucking crazy, man!" Like, like I grew up watching Cheers, like my with my dad and my brother, and like you know, and he was just so cool. Yeah, it was a Wanda Jackson show, and I was playing with the the support band, and um yeah it was just it was That's awesome. It was back. right before I moved here and um I ended up meeting a lot of people at that show that um you know still friends with and doing stuff with to this day but that was a that was a really that was a really cool hang yeah well yeah hell yeah um yeah but that you know but it's strange and i you know and i'm I'm very lucky and fortunate to have done the stuff that i've done and and I'm excited to continue and, like, keep evolving and, you know, I've never been. i never been one to sort of rest on, like, my laurels or, like, whatever's working. I don't know. I get uneasy. Even mm. as a guitar player, you know, the other day I was just like, what can I do different? What can I do different to, like, take myself out of the same shit that I'm doing? I you saw
0: know? the other day you are just, like, randomly playing Prince, you know? Yeah. Just because...
1: Serenading my cat,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've always been a big Prince fan. Oh, so that, yeah, that's not that's well, not
1: a new thing. That's a very um, old thing.
0: Favorite Prince, well, this isn't part of my last songs, but favorite Prince song. Go
1: favorite Prince song. Um, oh wow, that's a great question. I'm gonna I'm go for, with I'm two for two. I'm gonna go with. <laughs> um, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad.
0: Yo, that's an underrated jam.
1: Yeah, it's a jam. I Want to Be Your Lover is what I do at karaoke. It's not Um, a bad one to do. Thieves in the Temple. Wait, is that a Prince song or is that... Yeah, that was a Prince song. Thieves in the Temple. Which record is that off of? It might have been later. I might have been New Power Generation. I forget. Um, I mean, Purple Rain, obviously, um... Why do you want to drink the game? When does cry is a great song? Yeah. And if you ever listen to that, and think of like the era that that song was released. There's no bass on that song. There's nothing. It's just like drums, this little like keyboard tinkly, like twinkly keyboard part, and then him singing. Until the end when these like lush chords come in. Right. Um everything sort of implied. But like he produced the song and had all this all these other elements. And I guess when they were mixing it, he just starts pulling faders down. And think whatever year that was. I mean, that was a big hit. It was a big like kind of dance hit. Yeah, yeah. So like, imagine hearing the song and there's no bass. Yeah. Doo da da doon, and it's just bam, bam 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 bam, and then he starts singing, and then there's that bing goon 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 He was just on it. He I mean, like
0: he, everything he did was cooler than what. I mean, anything. You he know what was I mean? Always
1: like, on. He was always on, and I've it on some good authority that he never was not dressed to the nines. You'd never see him walk out like in a pair of sweatpants, right? Like he's always dressed up, like he's you know ready to go. Yeah, damn, that's sick. Yeah, sleeping in a blouse. <laughs> <laughs> what, remember, a, what are they? Just like, incredible. I just yeah. remember
0: uh, I'd heard in the other po- another podcast the other day that someone. Did a movie with Eddie Murphy, and they asked him. They said that all the stuff, like from the, you know, the Dave Chappelle, like true or Hollywood or uh Charlie Murphy's, like stories about Prince were like all completely true. Mm-hmm. They like played basketball together. Yeah, just full, they're totally true.
1: There's a guy that used to work for Saves that was worked for Prince for like ten years, and wow. tell us like hilarious stories. Wow. Um, I should have him come in. Oh, he's I don't got, even want to
0: record it. I just want to know
1: he's got some good ones. Um. But, yeah, like, Prince was a phenomenal basketball player, apparently. Damn. Like. That's sick. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, last. Yeah, yeah. This is a very big shift. Um, But the last question I typically ask everyone is just, what are you most proud of? And it can be in life. It can be creatively, however you want to answer it. It's just a big question I like to have at the end.
1: Hmm. Uh, I guess I'm, you know. I mean, this might be self-serving, but like, I don't know. I think I'm proud that I, I persevered through Mm. certain things. There's, you know, there've been a lot of like, you know, and there's still bumps in the road, you know, pursuing being a musician or an artist. Um, the thing I'll tell people a lot of times is like, you know, you don't, you, you have to just do it for better or for worse, you know, you either you are or you aren't an artist. Um, and I'm glad I'm still here, you know, I think that's, I feel good about that. Yeah. You know, there's still, I haven't run out of gas or, you know, it's still exciting to me. It's still, um, you've got a new record coming out. I got a new, yeah, there's a new record. I'm proud of all those records. I'm, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to, you know. I mean, it's funny. We started this conversation like in such a like much darker, like we're talking about politics or whatever. Right. And like, it's hard to think about personal accomplishments and stuff. Just when there's so much just crazy shit going on. And I'm That's definitely like a greater good type person. Right. So like, you know, I just want to see other people not suffer. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd say that those things, you know, as far as being proud of, um, you know, I'm proud that I'm still here. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, one, I'll always think that making art is going to be for the greater good, one, you know. And yeah. then, two, I like to ask that question because I feel like artists are, are – or some of the people who don't look back a lot, you know, like, like uh you, you said it yourself, like you're always moving forward and trying to find a new thing to yeah, do. Just the next thing. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's what artists are supposed to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, I
1: like looking back and appreciating um older work, you know, like yeah, I remember, you know, before going in and doing that, uh doing the new record, listening to like Daybreak and, and earlier stuff we've done and just, you know, how did we end up here? right you know like what led us to this you know what so it's cool you know but yeah i mean i i am definitely like a present i try to be more in the present and think forward but saves saves is a perfect sort of analogy for all that where it's like we're very excited about what we're doing and what we're going to do but we are also not naive to what got us here, and mm-hmm. we'll always like tip our hat to like that.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. That's but cool. we're always going to be excited about like the newest thing because we still are excited about it. We're not, I'm you know, we feel like it it's, you know, we're we're into what we're doing and what we're writing. And to me, like if the four, if four of us can go to sleep at night with that, then
0: you're good. Then we're good. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well
1: that's that cool
0: that's a a great place to end yeah man wraps it all up thanks thank you today's music was Side by Side by Saves the F'n Day and I can't believe that I got to say that uh, they're one of the people that I can now say I've talked to I'm so so stoked about this uh, anyway, thank you to Kyle at the tiny tape room for producing and for being the best being just so, so, so good looking. He's such a good looking man. 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 Uh, thank you to Lucas, another good looking man who does all of our video stuff. Thank you to Charles at Platoon, a third good looking man. Um, the logo and branding and lastly thank you all you beautiful good-looking people for listening be a fan of your friends and love one another